Thanks, Danny. That was great. Um, I do wonder, though, Korean slash Chinese. That sounds like a street fight in Eastwood. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, let's not go there. I, I should say, in fact, this relates to the sermon. Um, one of the things I love about living around here is the diversity of accents you get to hear. Um, uh, you come to church here and people come to stand at the, the lectern to do readings or prayers or that kind of thing and uh, you could hear five or six completely different accents from other parts of the world in the time that you're here at church and then down at morning tea or last cup or whatever, it's great. That's a difficult thing for me though. I have to be careful in that context because I'm someone who has always enjoyed trying to imitate other people's accents. Um, Not to mock them or make fun of them, but just because of the challenge, you know. It's one of the things I I like to do. Uh, When our kids were a bit younger and we were reading stories to them at bedtime, you know, sitting on the bed with them, with the book open, kids gathered around, uh, I would often play this kind of game with the kids that I believe in my heart that they loved, but you can judge later. Uh, As we would read the story, I would put on different accents, different voices for different parts of the story. Um, And it was great fun. So, you know, we'd be reading something like The Very Hungry Caterpillar and it's all going just fine, very normal in the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf, however it goes. And, you know, you'd turn the page and you'd be talking about the cherry pie and the sausage and then I'd just switch and do my Hagrid impression and throw in lines like, What? Harry Potter not know he's a wizard? And the kids at that point would just go, Dad, Dad, use your normal voice. Which I always thought was praise for me at entertaining them so well. Anyway, you can talk with them at last cup or afterwards. Um, lots of fun, great memories. A- accents are funny things, aren't they? Uh, accents can tell you something about a person, their natural accent anyway. Some of you may have had this kind of experience. You're uh, overseas or maybe in the city with tourists milling around everywhere. Big crowd of people from all over the place. But especially if you're overseas in a foreign country. And there are lots of people there and you think to yourself, I wonder if there are any other Australians around. Now, you look at the crowd and you can't tell whether people are from Australia by the way they look. Can't tell whether they're Australian by the way they walk. Can't even tell by their skin tone or the camera that they have around their neck. There is one surefire way, though, that you can know whether people are Aussies, right? They open their mouth and out come the words and you go, Mate! So excellent. That flaming dingo on a stick is delicious. Have you? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Accents reveal something about a person that's not visible, apparent to the eye. And in the book of James, we've got something similar going on here in chapter 3, the first 12 verses. James is telling us here that as soon as we open our mouths, that reveals something about us. But James is not talking about the sound of our accent. He's talking about the words when we speak, the words that we use, the kind of things that we say that reveals something about what's going on in our heart. The way in which we speak to each other and to other people, that identifies something about how genuine our faith really is. 
And this is a pattern that has been going through James. So you'll remember uh, in chapter 1, James warned us against being double-minded. And I used that illustration of the person who's got one foot in the boat of faith in Jesus, one foot on the dock because they don't want to miss out if anything cool happens and you end up splashing down in the water. It's a dangerous thing to do. Then at the end of chapter 1, Kamal, a couple of weeks ago, uh, James speaks about hearing God's word, but then not doing what it says. And James says, that's crazy. That's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like as soon as you walk away. Don't be like that, James says. And then last week when Byrne was preaching in James chapter 2, if you look at your Bible, you can see the very last verse of James chapter 2 is a summary of this. James was warning us about if we have faith that doesn't result in deeds, then that faith is dead. It's useless. can't do any good for us. So there's this pattern of you can have a Christian confession, but if it doesn't flow out in actually living that way, then you've got to question how good it is. And here James wants us to see a connection between what we say with our mouths, how we speak, and the reality of our faith, whether it's living or dead. So instead of saying don't be double-minded here, it's kind of like don't be double-tongued. Don't kind of be the kind of don't don't be the sort of person who talks all Christian-like when you're at church, says the prayers, sings the songs, but then when you're at work or at home or, or out with your mates, you're talking completely different. James says that's not right, that doesn't work. James says your words matter. Words are not insignificant things. Words really, really, really matter. And we need to pay attention to the weight of our words and the direction of our words and the the impact that our words have. He's telling us that words are hugely important. The influence and power of the tongue in our own lives and in the lives of other people is hugely important. And just so that you get how important it is, have a look at verse 6. James says the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Then he says this, it's radical, it's over the top almost. The tongue, it corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of a person's life on fire. Really? The tongue does? And is itself set on fire by hell? This is serious stuff. But you know what? There's also good news for us in this because the tongue is powerful and because we know that faith works by changing us from the inside out we saw that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1 then we who know Jesus can be confident that if we put our faith to work in the area of what we say our words, our tongue then it can have a really significant impact in the lives of others and in the communities which we're part of. So that's kind of the the gist of what's going on in this passage. Let's flesh it out a little bit. Um, First point that James is really making is how powerful words are. Um, Words can shape, words can be dangerous, words can do damage and they can do good as well. Um, Most of us have probably heard the little ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, we we teach that to kids because we want them to be resilient, but it's just not true, is it? Human bones take about six to eight weeks to heal. 
the wounds that are caused by words can often last a lifetime. I mean, they, they kind of infect your brain and they're bouncing around in your thoughts the things that people have said. Um, words can wound like a dagger right into your heart. You don't heal from that very quickly. They change how you feel about yourself. They change whether or not you trust people. Uh, words affect our lives in so many ways. They're very powerful, which is exactly why cyberbullying is such a big deal in our community these days. Um, schools run seminars for parents. It's part of the curriculum to teach the kids this is what you should and shouldn't do, this is how to handle things. And you might just go, yeah, but it's just words, isn't it? Words in a text message, words on a screen. No, we, we know that words are much more powerful than that. What we say can seem so small and insignificant. We can tell ourselves, that's nothing, it's just a few words. But we need to understand how very, very powerful our words can be, as small as they seem. James lays that out with example after example from verses 3 through to 5. So he says, first example, when we put bits into the mouths of horses... To make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I'm not a horse kind of person, but I've been around horses enough to know that they're big animals. The little bit that you stick in their mouth, insignificant looking, can turn the whole animal, James says. But he says, if you think, you know, well, yeah, that's a horse. Think about ships then. Take ships as an example. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, I mean, big vessels, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. You don't need a big stick to push a ship around to make it change direction, just that little rudder. And then James says, well, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. But you know what? It makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And I read that and I go, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Has that ever happened to you? The small spark of words spoken by somebody have kind of set a fire in your life of anger or resentment or anxiety or fear and it's still smouldering today. Sometimes the wind blows and that fire rages up and you think, but it was just words. I'll tell you something that I'm 100% certain of. Every person here today, I'm sure, carries scars on their soul from times that they have been slashed by the words of others, unkind words, hateful words, impatient or angry words. I bet you've got moments from your life that you can replay in your head, and you do replay them in your head, where things were said to you that just crushed you or made you feel like dirt. You know what else I'm 100% certain of, though? Every single one of us has been on the other end of that. We have taken our words and we have weaponized them for maximum impact when we have wanted to make our point or get our way. I don't need to convince you that reckless words can do damage and that there's an immediate impact of words that can last forever. But what I do want to remind you of is that words have another kind of power as well. Even though they're so small and seem so insignificant, words have power to create cultures. 
So in the Bible we know that God is a speaking God. God speaks and the creation appears. God says, Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. And there was light. And in a similar kind of way, we've been created in the image of God as speaking creatures. And like God's words have power, not to the same degree, but our words also have power. Power in, in that immediate context, but also our words have creative power. I want to ask you to think about something. Think about the culture of your family or the culture of your workplace or the culture that exists in your circle of friends. What is it that has been most influential in shaping that culture? I reckon nine out of ten cases, it's words. I mean, lots of other things contribute, but by and large, words are what make a culture or a community. So think about the home that you grew up in or are growing up in and the culture in that household that was created by words. Uh, Maybe words of criticism or complaint. Uh, Words like, you never blah, 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 or you always such and such. Maybe words that were used to create a, a narrative, a story of things always being difficult, things are going badly, and so that changes the culture and the atmosphere of the family. And then in other families it might be very different. Maybe words of encouragement or love and appreciation were what was spoken all the time. Words of belonging and welcome. Words that created a place where you knew it was safe to bring other people. knew it was safe to express who you were. It's amazing, isn't it? The power of words not only to affect the immediate feelings of people, but words shape a culture, a community over the long term. So James is saying what we do with our tongues might seem really insignificant, but James says pay attention because your words actually have great power. Because they have great power, we also bear great responsibility to use our words well. That's uh, emphasised in the first couple of verses. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, don't rush to be a teacher in the church because teachers use words to create a culture. Uh, And there's a great responsibility, therefore. So the more you're involved in that culture-creating realm, the greater the responsibility you bear. But James doesn't want to just leave it at teachers. Uh, Teachers are a good example of this, but we all have that kind of power in the relationships we have. And so he says, we all stumble in many ways. All of us need to pay attention to the power of our words, no matter who we are whether you're 14 years old or whether you're 84 years old. You need to pay attention to your words. In fact, what James is really getting at is this. We who are Christians who claim to trust Jesus, we need to look at our speaking and ask if our speaking is in line with our believing. Does our speaking line up with our believing. If you go down to verses 9 and 10, you'll see he's starting to talk about that kind of thing specifically. And in those verses he talks about there being a mismatch between our speaking and our believing. Uh, He says it's kind of like you have this one mouth out of which come two very different kinds of messages and speaking. So, you know, with one and the same tongue you praise God and you also curse people made in the image of God. That that doesn't make sense. 
can't be right. Things shouldn't be like that. Is that what it's like with you? Do you kind of speak with a Christian accent when you're around church people? An accent which then drops off once you're out of that environment. Kind of like when I'm reading the book with the kids and I put on the the accent. I can't keep that accent going. The book ends, I stop the accent. Is that what it's like for you with church? You, You speak all the right words, you confess sins and you praise God. But then when church is over and you're you're with your family or you're at work or at uni or school. Do you speak differently then? In fact, even the distance between sitting in the pews and going out on the footpath is something worth considering. Because in here we all say the words, we sing the words, we pray the words that exalt God. Does that stop once you get out the door? So in the same way that our accent tells people something about where we've grown up. The way in which we speak when we're not around church actually tells people something about what's going on in our hearts. And you see that if you look at the next couple of verses. So James writes, verse 11, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, they can't. And then he picks up another illustration to to talk about that, Uh, one that he's heard from his older brother. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear uh, bear figs? Well, no. You may go, yeah, I think I have heard that kind of illustration before. And that's because Jesus used it. James has heard this from his older brother, Jesus, um, in many situations. Uh, So one example is in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus specifically connects what comes out of our mouth with the condition of our heart. He says, each tree is recognised by its own fruit. So people don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. So the tree and the fruit match up. And he says it's the same thing with people. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Then Jesus' conclusion, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So your words are the fruit that identifies the tree that they've come from. Jesus says what you say reveals what's in your heart. And James is saying the same sort of thing toward the end of this passage. He's saying if you claim to have faith in Jesus, it better be a faith that works itself out and shows evidence that God is at work in your life, changing you. One of the tests, one of the surefire ways to see whether faith is really at work in you is to have a look at what's coming out of your mouth, your words. How would you go with that test? Because it's kind of scary, isn't it? I don't think any of us pass it 100%, that's for sure. I mean, that's what James is saying in verses 7 and 8. It's kind of... Freaky, he says, people have tamed all sorts of animals, birds, creatures of the sea, even lions. You can give a lion a kiss like that. That just seems crazy to me. Um, But he says, no one can tame the tongue. Feel the force of that for a minute. For all our human ingenuity, we build skyscrapers. We can tame animals. We can, uh, people even tame cockroaches. 
but no one can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? How on earth do we get this sorted out? Well, the good news is that God is in the business of changing hearts. See, if the heart is the source of what comes out of the mouth, God's in the business of changing hearts. He's in the business of making all things new. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus says that, Behold, I'm making all things new. He's in the business of making things new, starting with us now when we put our trust in Jesus. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's there on the stained glass window in case you ever forget. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so God is in the business of giving you the heart that you need in order to change the speech. Um, James is, that, that's exactly why James is writing this, you know. He's writing to those who are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 2, verse 1. So as believers, we're the ones whose hearts God is changing. If you're a believer, that change has already started in you. God's already changed you and continues to change you until the day when you'll see him face to face. And because he's doing that, he's also given you what you need in order to develop that new accent. You know, when families move from overseas to another country, mum and dad usually continue to speak in the accent that they've grown up with for the however many years they spent in that country. Burn doesn't sound like me when he stands up here. But you know who does sound more like me in Burn's family? His kids. Because they're growing up learning to speak like Aussies. When kids are born in a a country different from their parents, they get an accent different from their parents, except in certain circumstances. And you know what? When you were born again by the Spirit of God, God did what's necessary in you for you to gain this new accent. The accent of heaven is what should identify your speech. And this is the brilliant thing, I think. Faith actually works. Like, we can't change this about our tongue. No one can tame the tongue. But what we are powerless to do, God does for us. Isn't that brilliant? Faith actually works. And because faith works, we should have confidence to put our faith to work, to kind of see that change in our speech happening. And so that's what I want to talk about in these final couple of minutes. I want to talk about change in two areas. First of all, how do we change the kind of culture of our heart so that what's coming out of our mouth is flowing out from the the heart? Well, just like our words create a culture in our homes and our workplaces, I think it's also true that the words we speak to our heart are the thing that influences the culture of our heart more than anything else. Um, no one's more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. We're constantly talking to ourselves, telling ourselves things, messages that lodge in our heart. And so if you're going to develop a heart that overflows into speech that's just shaped by the goodness and the grace of God, then you've got to put your faith to work to speak God's life-giving words to your heart. 
all kinds of wonderful words that God has spoken to you as someone who's put their trust in Jesus, who died on the cross for you, who rose again for you, words that you're, you're forgiven, your sins have been wiped away, cast as far from the east is from the west. God will remember them against you no more. Words that say, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're no longer an alien or a stranger. You're a child of God. You have a place at the table. You're a member of the family. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. There's so much of God's word to us that lies kind of bound up in the, between the covers of the Bible and we need to get it from there into our hearts if we're going to see the culture of our heart change. So how do you do that? Of course it's by getting into the Bible but I want to suggest one activity specifically memorising scripture put your faith to work to memorise the word of God so that you're speaking it constantly because when you memorise something you're repeating it over and over again and when you memorise God's word to you, that's what's going to change the culture of your heart. Now Praise God, we live in a time and a place where there are great tools to help us do this. With phones and uh, tablets, there are terrific apps that can help you memorise scripture. And you can take it with you wherever you go, like you take your phone wherever you go. Um, Those are two that I want to suggest. So scripture typer is one where you can kind of go at your own pace a little bit, uh, memorising passages from the scriptures. Fighter Verses is one that's uh, published by a church in the States who do a three-year Bible memory course where the congregation is memorising a verse every week. And this is the app that they use to help their congregation. It's free to all of us as well. So it will give you a new verse to memorise each week, different one going through the course of three years. Make use of those tools. You know, when you're sitting on the bus or the train or waiting for the doctor, you can whip your phone out and feed on God's word, changing the culture of your heart. Let God speak his word into your heart. That's the first thing. Secondly, at the practical end, so this is what we speak into our hearts here. Secondly, what comes out of our mouths to other people. The Bible's full of instruction on this. I just want to pull out a few examples from James because they're right here in front of us with our Bible open and one other one. So go to James chapter 1. You'll see there very early on James gives us some really good advice in verse 19. He says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. There's some wisdom for you. You can have that one for free. Um, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, That's not just for the clever, wise people, by the way. Notice who should do that. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Just take a moment and think about what you're going to say in any situation so that what comes out of your mouth reflects the work of what God is doing in your heart. Go to James chapter 2. Don't show favouritism. That was the theme last Sunday. Now, we talk about that in practical ways, but that flows into the way we speak as well, doesn't it? We can use our words to exclude people and show favouritism to others, or we can use our words to include people together. And so James would want us to 
use our tongues to include rather than exclude. Uh, Let me take you to the end of James now. James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, James gives us something that is quite different to the way the world operates. He says that Christians should be people who are speaking words of confession to each other. He says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. When you do that, you'll be healed. That ought to be a part of our language, part of the way that we speak, that marks us out as different in the community. Now, I don't think what that means is that you go and find anyone who's got five minutes and you just pour out all the stuff you feel guilty about and dump it on them and go, oh, I've confessed my sins, I'll now, now I'll be healed. Um, no, it's, it's about creating a new culture in the church where the thing that we're famous for The thing that people get to know about us is that we're really quick to own up and take responsibility for things that we do wrong. And we're we're quick to say sorry for that, to confess and apologise so that, you know, we're different to the the prevailing culture of the human heart is typically to get defensive, to kind of justify the reasons why, no, 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 I'm not really at fault, I'm not really to blame, it's because of what you did that I did this. No, the the person whose heart is being changed by God moves very quickly to repentance when we've offended someone, when we've caused hurt. And you know, maybe they caused hurt to us, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't. So we're quick to go to people to say, Listen, I I don't think I realised it at the time, but what I said to you or that decision that I made or the way in which I acted in that occasion was bad, you know. It it hurt you. It was the wrong thing for me to do and I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? That's what this verse is talking about. That should be the culture of Epping Presbyterian Church. We need to work on that. We need to put our faith to work to work on that. Quick to listen slow to speak, speaking in ways that include rather than exclude, a culture of confession and repentance rather than that defensiveness and self-justification. I said I wanted to take you to one other place, not in James as well, and I want this to be your homework for today. I want to give you a memory verse. It's Ephesians 4 verse 29. Uh, This was written out by hand by my mum, stuck on the fridge in our household, I guess from the time I was a teenager, so probably when I needed to know it most. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's plenty going on in this verse about what we do with our mouths. In fact, Ephesians 4 and 5 are full of advice about how to speak. But you can see this verse, I've I've chosen this because this is a kind of go-to verse for me in terms of how words shape the culture of a little community. This is about culture shaping. You, You speak, if you choose your words carefully, to speak only what is helpful It has the effect of building up others according to their needs and benefiting those who listen. Because we often use words in the opposite way of that, don't we? To tear people down. To put up walls between us and other people rather than benefiting them. This is a culture-shaping verse. And if you 
live and speak what Ephesians 4.29 is all about, then you will influence and you will change the culture of your home. You'll influence and change the culture of your class. You will influence and change the culture of your, your workplace and your circle of friends. So learn this one. Speak this one to your heart, first of all. Just think about it. Here's what James has been saying. The tongue, it's tiny. It seems insignificant. Our words seem insignificant. But they're not insignificant. They have great power. We need to be aware of that power, both to be careful about it, but also to recognise the good that we can do. The tongue is like a, a tiny little spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. So therefore think of the amazing things that might happen if your heart is constantly overflowing with the glory and grace of God in the way in which you speak to other people. Think of what God could do through that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the words which you speak to us, which are words of healing and hope. Help us to be people who put our faith to work in reaching out for those words, seeking them out and learning them and treasuring them in our hearts so that it's your word to us that shapes the culture of who we are. And then we pray, Lord, that out of the overflow of our heart our mouths might speak words of hope and grace and love of confession and forgiveness into the little communities to which we belong here in this church community in our families in our classes in our workplaces amongst our circle of friends Thank you for the great privilege of being culture shapers as people created in your image, speaking people. Help us to use that responsibility well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.